0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. Uh, this is episode 12. And this is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. Today I have Namdi. Namdi
1: Wenzapu. Wenzapu. Yeah. Wenzapu. Thank you. I, I
0: wasn't sure <laughs> how to say your last name. And, uh, and here with me in um, in D.C. And then Nathan Fox in San Francisco. How are you doing, Nathan?
2: I'm great. I'm great.
0: Cool. So, um, Namdi, before we get started, do you mind taking a few minutes
1: to tell our listeners a little bit about your situation, who you are, okay. what you're doing? I think I can do that. Uh, my name is Namdi Wenzapu, uh, rising senior at Columbia University, planning to go to law school. Uh, and I'm taking Ben's strategy prep 100-hour course uh, in the hopes of getting a 180 or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Y'all have that hope, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, cool. So how's it it's going pretty well so far, right?
1: It's going amazing. Uh, my first diagnostic, I got a 152. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on my second diagnostic, I got a 165. So I think I'm making a lot of progress with this course. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. I mean, that is
0: pretty unusual too. So yep. you should put that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it keeps going. I hope the best for
2: you. Yeah. Nathan, do you have any questions for Namdi I would love to know um, what the splits were on the 152 and the 165 the splits you're going to have to elaborate on. So how many did you get right on the logic games versus how many did you get right on the reading comprehension?
1: Hmm. I want to say I did better on the, uh, reading comprehension. I don't have the scores here with me. Um, but logic games are an upward battle. Like I, I think I only got like 11 or so right in the one logic game section that we had. Uh,
2: but in the other sections, I did pretty well, especially logical reasoning. Okay, so games is your is your still your your weakness Probably your your weakest spot? Exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah, and did you do any prep before the class started? No, this
1: was my first. Like, even I didn't I hadn't seen any else had questions before this or anything.
2: Okay. Yeah. No. You're in. You're in. uh, Good spot there. That's, Thank uh, you. That is impressive. And yeah, like Ben said, I mean, improving 13 points in the first couple of weeks is definitely uh, an outlier. So hmm. where uh, where are you hoping to go to law school? Uh, I'd love
1: to go to law school, either Stanford, Columbia, or Georgetown. Georgetown mainly because I have an option to get my school paid for if I go to Georgetown. But we, that's something that developing over the next couple of years, so I don't know if that'll still pan out that way. So through your job here in D.C.? Yeah, Pepco provides 100% education to assistance for their employees, but none of the employees take it. So you can go up to a Ph.D. at Pepco just working as a regular employee. But they have a merger with Exelon, which makes it kind of iffy as to whether that plan is going to stay in place once they're bought out. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, so... I'm assuming once, if you can secure it, no, they, they buy it out. No, even if I get in, they, they can't grandfather me into the program if it does get terminated before I graduate. Huh. Wow. So it's a, you know, I got a lot of choices to make within the next couple of years regarding that.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, well, so part of the reason we're doing this podcast today is that Namdi has been pretty much doing everything that you'd ideally like to do so for example um he started the class he's done uh, all i think all the homework of getting out which is pretty crazy because i actually give out a little bit more than i think most people can do just so that no one runs out and um every time he comes to class he has a notepad of questions um i just do open q a before class for 30 minutes and then we have open q a on thursday nights And despite coming to all of those Q&A sessions, we have not been able to finish (laughs) going (laughs) through all of Namdi's questions. Um, His notepad, which I see you pull it out. I go, okay, (laughs)
2: here
0: we go. So um, trying to, to balance his questions with everyone else has been a little challenging. But So the other night, uh, in, in an act of uh, let's see if we can somehow get a hang on all these questions uh, I suggested or I think you might have suggested to come on the podcast no. and uh, I took that up quickly so um, maybe today Nathan and I can uh, get, check some more of these off and get you closer to your goal um, as we were talking about earlier we have to keep these a little bit general just so they make sense to everyone who's listening but also because um, you know the questions are copyrighted and so on but What? Yeah. What questions you have,
1: and okay, Uh, see what we can do. So, let's see if I can put this in the best language possible. Um, So, with the logic games, especially the games that are typed in and out, as you call them, Mm -hmm. um, selection games. Yep. When you have a, I know you addressed this a little bit earlier, but I was still confused. Um, If you create a rule that's an if-then statement. And you want to use that rule to check answer choices provided in that first question that they typically give. Mm -hmm. Some people call it the orientation question or like just that first question that sets out everything like Mm -hmm. in a logic game. Um, Does it make sense to also use the contrapositive of that if then statement to check against the answer choices? Because to me, it seems like if you already check, with the if then statement, then checking with the contrapositive
2: would be a waste of time, if you've already checked through once with the if then. Sure. Is that the truth? Yeah, so Nathan, what were you saying? Oh yeah, I was just gonna say no. I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's really easy. To, if, if you have a rule that says like, if X is third, then Y has to be fourth. And you want to just do, you're looking at a could be true question, and you're going to do a process of elimination where you're going to use that rule, if X is third, then Y is fourth, to eliminate answer choices. All you have to do is scan down the answer choices and look for X in the third spot. If X is in the third spot, then Y has to be in the fourth spot. And that's the end of your analysis, because if X is not in the third spot, then the contrapositive can't possibly be violated anyway. Right. So it's just, it's, it, the way to think about that, I think, is that the rule only applies if the sufficient condition is met. So if X is third, now you have to worry about the rule. But you just glance for if you see that, if you see X is third, then you look for Y is fourth. And if it is, great. If it's not, it's out. And on any answer choice where X third does not exist, then the rule doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, and
0: that's in the that's in the context of an if-then statement in, in an ordering game, right? And it
2: that that would apply just as well to an in-out game. Or oh, what do you yeah, call sorry. In- you, you mentioned an in-out game. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, but that's right. It would apply to any, any type of game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. That was very concisely answered. Uh, so I guess I'll go to an even more general question. So... One of the pieces of advice I got from you, Ben, was that... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be... <laughs> no, feeling, it's okay. Go ahead. But Say whatever I said. That, uh, I'll just deny it. <laughs> <laughs> when we have a... When we come to the end of a section, we, like someone comes in and says, five minutes left, mm-hmm. the logical reasoning packet that you gave us said that you should pick a letter and just fill in... Like If you don't have time left, just pick a letter and fill in the rest of the ones you have to guess on with that letter. Why is it that that is a better option than picking uh, like like randomly picking uh, uh, bubbles for each question that you Okay. To so
0: answer. if you have like five questions left, yeah. why did I suggest just pick D or B or C or whatever and bubble straight down? Yeah. Um, I actually don't know if it is any different
2: than randomly bubbling. I would I don't think it is. Nathan, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I say the same thing to my students. I say at five minutes, when the, when the proctor says five minutes, go ahead and bubble in a straight line down to the end of the section. And I think the reason why, I think I have two reasons maybe why I say that. One is expediency. Um, if I don't say that, then people will ask me whether I should bubble in random bubbles or whether I should bubble in a straight line. And it's like, the truth is, it doesn't make any difference. Mm. So I just, give them, I just give them something to hold on to. Um, just here, do this. And then hopefully they just do it and then we can move on. Um, the other reason is, I guess when you look back at your bubble sheet after the test is over, if you had guessed in a straight line, then it's easier to just tell where your straight line is. So or it'll, it's easier to tell where the guesses started because that's where the straight line starts,
1: Okay.
2: Um, which just makes reviewing a bit easier, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, definitely that makes sense. The other thing too is I'm thinking right now, and maybe this is what you were saying, but it also just it seems like it, the bubbling would go faster because you're just Oh going yeah, to, that too. Yeah, good point. Instead of trying I think sometimes when people do it randomly, they're also trying to like Sorry. game, you know, like look back <laughs> at what they got and say, "Oh, I see a lot of Bs, so I'm going to do a lot of Ds now or something." I don't know. I think that too is just time to I maybe mean, it's just so it's all a guess. So, okay. now I know like I think PowerScore or something, some company like 10 years ago did a study and found that near the end of the test, usually D or E was the correct answer. But given the fact that that's now out there, I don't think that's going to be true <laughs> anymore. So,
2: but I don't, I mean, I don't think, it, I don't think yeah, it's true. That, yeah, that analysis was stupid from the beginning because it was based on previous results, which don't have to carry forward into the future. Um, hmm. Like you say, Ben, as soon as that got out there into the world, you would assume that LSAC would change uh, strategy just to try to counteract that. Um, they Also, the analysis went a little bit deeper. It, it was actually kind of funny. Um, it was like, well, in the last five questions uh, on the whole test, D is the most common answer. But... On the logical reasoning, the most common answer in the last five is C, and on the logic games in the last five, the last the most common answer is B, and it was this like, it was it was took up a whole page in the textbook. <laughs> and I, seriously, and I because I, I, I was a Powerscore teacher, but it used to piss me off because it was like, you know what you're doing. I mean, f- even if all of this is historically factually true you're confusing the students you're you're putting you're wasting their time you know you're giving them this it's like it's a pseudo pseudo lesson um and and i would just say listen people if you're if you're memorizing this that is just you're doing the wrong thing because you need to be focusing on getting the questions right not not this stupid guessing strategy so for me bubble in a bubble and that's that's what i really care about bubble in a bubble
1: okay um my next question has to do with uh, timing during the mm-hmm. exam. So I know that you're only allowed to have an analog watch. Um, but when I was taking both of my practice exams, there wasn't like a a whiteboard or anything that said the time when the section will end. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if, there, if that would be in my actual LSAT exam. And if so, uh, if not, then what strategies would you recommend for like checking your watch? Because when I did, when I was taking the tests, both of them and I would look at my watch because I was in such a high stress state mm-hmm. yeah, and also because I don't really read an analog watch like that <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. I wasn't going to spend like a minute almost trying to calculate, okay, the section's going to end at mm-hmm. 1240. So I have to like, figure out how much time I have left. So in the exam, will I will that whiteboard with the end time be available? And again, if not, then what should I do? So no, it
0: won't be. And um, Nathan, I know you have particular advice about the
2: watch. What, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the this might not be possible for everybody, but I feel like the best possible uh, solution is to just not even bring a watch and just let the proctor take care of it um i think that a lot of students waste a lot of time on the test by checking their watch and it's i guess it's like a comfort blanket you know you you might some people you might just have to have it or else you're going to have a freak out meltdown or whatever but you've got some time Nandi, before your actual test right the test is not until september and you you're going to do presumably a bunch of practice tests in between now and then yeah. I would advise you to, as soon as possible, take a practice test without a watch at all and just let Ben run the clock or let whoever the proctor is run the clock for you. And and really just wholly invest yourself in answering the questions.
1: Right.
0: Um, I definitely think that's good advice for a lot of people. I, I personally need a blanket. <laughs> a comfort blanket. um, So just for some reason, being able to check in halfway through the test or after a game just to see, am I ahead of schedule, am I behind schedule, so that I can adjust as I'm going through is helpful to me. And when I do, well, actually, what I do when I use my analog watch is I will write the time at the top of the section, but I suggest to people all the time to just actually set their watch to noon. So then you set it to noon and then when the proctor says go, you just click it in and it starts going. So then you're not having to do any calculation because it's always going to go from noon down to thirty-five. And then I just re I would suggest resetting it back to noon. Now that's if you okay. end up using a watch. I um I would take Nathan's advice and try it without a watch. And I don't know how many times you should try it, but see, you know well, I mean, if you if you like being able to check in or or maybe, maybe. that's distracting. Because some people, they do get obsessed about it, and then the, the watch is a bad thing, and you should take it away. It's yeah. like an
1: addiction. Because I, on the first two diagnostics that I took, mm-hmm. I had a watch, but I never, like, I looked at it once mm-hmm. at the beginning of both sections, and I was like, oh, yeah, I still hate looking at the watch, and mm-hmm. I never looked at it again after that. So, like, I didn't know if there was just something to, like, if it, if the watch was like a strategy in the same way that like the book has strategies, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I didn't know if I mastered the watch, I could like do better on the test.
0: I I, I feel like it's helpful for me, yeah. but um, if you do it, I would set it to noon or okay. something like that. But I definitely think you should try it without. It sounds like that's what you've kind of been doing in
1: some yeah. ways. So. so maybe try one test with serious watch checking or something like <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> well, I, even, I mean, I only check it like two or three times. I th- actually, right. I think, yeah, it's it's like three times. It's after each segment. So in the games, I would check it after the first game. Mm-hmm. Unless it went extremely fast and I knew I was going fast, then I would just not check. I mean, there's no point. But um, I, for me, it's just helpful. To, I want to know early on whether I'm going slow and thus need to speed up so I can theoretically finish. Um, but for some people, that adds stress. For me, yeah. it's just a matter of modulating my time, which I'm not as good at as I think other people
1: are. They have a good sense of exactly. what their time is. So. so let me just ask, and both of you could touch on this. Um, if I do mark the time that the section has begun, would you recommend spending any time writing that down? like? Yeah. That's too. what I would that's what I do. Write down the start I, just, time, I just write down the time and so I don't have compare. to think about it
0: again. And I write down the finish time right then too. Like I do the math then. Oh, okay. That seems like it could
1: be helpful. But setting, if I am gonna use the wall. Yeah, or, or just set it to new, because then you don't have to do any of that math. Okay. And my next question, and I'm not sure how best to to formulate this, um, but I'll give it a shot and maybe you guys can understand it. So there are some questions where they give you an if statement and they say if this person um, is this, this is more for grouping games, like if this person is always with this person and then they give you a bunch of answer choices where they say, could this person be with this person or does this person all or could this person always be with this person or could this person always be with this person provided that this first pairing that I've, that is was stated in the beginning is like a new rule. And so when I deal with questions like that, I simply, um, put the new rule into my mini diagram and then just basically like take the first answer choice and um, see if it works. If it doesn't work, then I move on to the next one. Then I add in the... Then I do the same thing for the rest of the answer choices. So that seems like a really slow process to me for answering that type of question. And I didn't know if there was like a better way that that could be done.
0: So uh, let me try to understand what you're saying. So when you have... When you're going through the games and you have you encounter a question that starts with if, and they give you a new rule, and mm-hmm. that new rule tell this is a grouping game, yeah. and it tells you that two people are together.
1: If they always are together, yeah.
0: If they're together uh, now, yeah. For this question, mm-hmm. okay. So if these two people are together. Who else has to be together? Is that the kind of question you're looking at? Um,
1: well, they're not saying has to be together. They're mm-hmm. saying, who which could, who could, what other
0: two t-
2: people could be together? Oh, yeah, could always be together. Well, F- can we just actually read this one question? Do you have the question in front of you? I do, and I don't know if that would. Sure. Yeah,
1: go ahead. I think the question is fine, right, Nathan? Yeah, fair use. I can maybe like. Switch out the names, if that would help. I don't me. think I'll make this. <laughs> okay, well, let's just give it a shot. So the type of question is this. If Pinsky serves on every subcommittee in, on which French serves and ev- every subcommittee on which Gowery serves, um, then which of the following could be true? And then it gives you uh, several answer choices. So the first answer choice is, Magnus serves on every subcommittee on which French serve and every subcommittee on which Gowrie
2: serves all right I'll, I'll stop you I, I I do know that game and I know that question and Ben, feel free to chime in but I, yeah. I just don't know that you're going to be able to extrapolate from this question or from this game to any other question or any other games okay um, this is this is a situation where this is a very unique Uh, game and it's a unique question and i think you just have to grind your way through it um i don't know ben what do you think
0: yeah no i this is an unusual game um the the only thought i would have is based on the initial clues that they give you try to figure out what else must be true before you look at the answers but that's true not just for this game but for for any game and i think in this particular one uh, i can't remember but if if P serves on every subcommittee on which F serves, then that means if you have F, then you have P. And then what are they saying? Every subcommittee which G serves. So if you have G, then you have P. That sounds to me like in that particular game, P has to go on all the groups. And so you make that inference and, and
2: then go into yeah, the... That, that entire game is just about figuring out who the president is. I always say, that. that's how I always teach it, is there's one person who has to be on all three committees. And yeah. I, I, you can call that person the president or the chairman or whatever you want to call them. But it's, it, it, it's M or P, right? Yeah. And it's every almost every question is figuring out who has to be on all three committees. So for that question, just like Ben said, if they say, uh, you know, Pinsky's on every committee that French serves on and whatever, I would look at that, that new rule, that local rule, and I would, my first question is just, okay, does that force P to be the president or not? So I would probably try it both ways there. I would try to see what would happen if I made P not the president, see if it's even possible to make P be not the president. Um, And I think what happens is that scenario dies. It's, It's not possible. And then you, so you have to make P be the president. And once you've figured out that P is the president, then you can answer the questions you know, then, then that question's easy to answer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But okay. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't think you're gonna be able to like, learn much uh, for other games with that question because it's, it's kind of like, um, you're not likely to see that again.
1: Right. Um, my next question, again, this is more general. Um, so I study a lot on the bus and the train um, and I really have a choice between studying Spanish or the LSAT, uh, you know, like either my Duolingo app or pulling out my books and studying on the train. And because the books are so cumbersome and like just writing, like trying to draw slots on the bus is like pretty much impossible. Um, I wanted to know like what things we should be looking to put on flashcards so that maybe I could do that. Start doing that now, because I'd I'd much rather study the LSAT and my (laughs) Spanish. My Spanish is pretty good. So, like, I just want to, like, have a stack of cards Mm -hmm. that I can just be flipping through when I'm on the bus. So what things should I have on those flashcards? Nathan, any
2: thoughts here? Um, I don't use flashcards. I haven't in the past, because... I don't feel like the LSAT is that much of a test of knowledge. There's just not that much stuff that you need to memorize. Um, if I, you know, I could brainstorm with you, and I'm happy to do that, about things to, to potentially put on a flashcard. Um, I would maybe put logical reasoning question types. So like on one side, I would have a question stem, and then on the other side, I would have the name of that type of question and then some bullet points about strategies for that type of question. Okay. So for example, on one side it would say, which one of the following is an assumption on which the argument relies? And then flip over the card and it says, necessary assumption at the top of the card. And then it says, look for an answer choice that has to be true in order for the argument to be true. Uh, Look for an answer that if false causes the argument to fail. Um, right. This this question type is tightly related to must be true questions. It prefers more softly stated answer choices. Something like that, sort of like you know, a handful of bullet points of things to think about when you're dealing with that type of a question. Um, I don't know what else. But Ben, what do you think? Well,
0: no, I I, I agree actually. Um, I, I do also agree that. Uh, the the broader point that Nathan makes, I think, is that um, studying specific examples and stuff is ideal. But if you're looking for something like flashcards to do, they're actually if you log in to the the you know the help section yeah. on the website, and I guess just for our listeners too, if you search for uh, strategy prep in Quizlet, you'll find exactly what Nathan's talking about. It's um, it has a quite has a actually what it does is it has a question or an actual LSAT question stem from logical reasoning on one side of the flash Yeah, have you ever heard of Quizlet? Yeah, I use Quizlet all the time. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> so then you flip that over. So you predict what type of question it is, and then you flip it over and it'll tell you what type it is, and then below that it will tell you um, strategies, a few strategies, exactly like what Nathan was saying That's awesome. for that type. Um, the other thing I might add to that list and there's some, I think I think these are in Quizlet as well, I'll have to check now that we're talking about search, it. But, search for strategy prep,
2: Ben?
0: Yeah in Quizlet, if, if it doesn't come up um, I I can, there's a link to the class and the class has like sets of flashcards, I'll have to I'll have to
2: figure that out. And I can send you the link, Nathan. I'm, I, I'm looking at it right now. I've got a it says the class has five sets. Yeah, logical reasoning question types. Yep. Oh, can't do it. It's not giving me access. Oh Set really? Protected. You might have to be a member of the class in order to get this. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Well I can I can probably unlock that somehow. Cool. I'd like to check it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, Another one of those sets includes like formal logic stuff. So a lot of times people forget that only if equals then, or unless equals if not, or um, all equals if those sort of things. Um, You know, sometimes it helps just to just to know that, and so then you can apply it when in the moment.
2: Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like if and only if makes the arrow go both ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, only if introduces the necessary condition. Some equals one or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, but there the thing is that uh, this is going to be about two bus rides for you, and you're and you're going to be you're going to have it all locked down. Because <laughs> there's just not that many things. You know, yeah. it is not the kind of a test where you can memorize a, a big uh, chunk of information. There's really what a dozen, a couple dozen things maybe to memorize. Yeah, the reason why I like
1: I really love flashcards is really for the same reason that I I joined the class. My success in a lot of things comes with a sense of confidence for myself in that that I have like the basic things like understood. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping like like with this class to finish the class and then have all these study concepts in my brain so that when I'm by myself mm-hmm. taking practice practice exams, I'm confident that I'm like at least on the right direction, you know. Yeah, yeah. In the same way with these flashcards, like if I can get just get these things like locked in my brain Mm -hmm. there'll be no time spent on the exam like thinking about whether I'm doing the right thing Mm -hmm. so yeah
0: yeah now I guess one thing that maybe um, I mean ultimately practicing questions is more important but Nathan I don't know about your experience but it seems like a lot of people get the concepts behind logical reasoning faster than they maybe completely get identify the question types like it seems like a lot of times later in the course I'm still sort of saying okay so what question type this is and there's a little bit of confusion and then I feel like those people are at a slight disadvantage in terms of you know being able to decide between the two remaining answer choices because in there it's not 100% clear what type they're looking at so they're not reaching to a specific strategy
2: like you just mentioned for necessary assumption or something like that. Yeah, well, I mean, you can get a good LSAT score without knowing anything about the question types. I mean, so and that's kind of like my method of teaching it is that I want to encourage people to just intuitively be able to understand the test before they get too technical about it.
1: Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's the difference between a 165 and a 170. If you don't know the difference between a sufficient assumption question and a necessary assumption question, that's what's going to keep you from moving to 170 from 165. Mm-hmm. But you can probably get to 165 without knowing the difference just by being a really good reader and being a critical thinker.
0: Yeah. And that, and that reminds me of something you said before. I think you had mentioned that. like you, you, Depending on where the person is scoring, you're going to talk about different things, which is which is smart, I think, because otherwise you're just adding confusion
2: before they're ready for that. Yeah, you know, people who are scoring well. I mean, it's tough in a mixed classroom setting, right? That's mm-hmm. that's always a challenge of teaching a classroom LSAT course. Is that you've got to kind of try to hit the whole class at once. Um, one way I do that is I, I kind of I, I address this like we'll talk about in the in a twelve week class. We'll talk about necessary assumption questions three times because um, I, I kind of teach cyclically. So maybe the first time you. You just became aware of the fact that there even is such a thing as a necessary assumption question, and you you know you realized oh I need to make sure that I understand what necessary means. And the second time maybe you're you're now you're getting better at like actually identifying that question. Uh, maybe the third time you're, you're grasping on to like oh I you know a new I see I get it now I really understand how this negation thing works on a necessary assumption question or oh now I see what Nathan means when he says that necessary assumption questions, sometimes the correct answer is is the opposite of a weakener. Like, oh, mm-hmm. now I understand that. And I didn't get it the first time through, the second time through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I actually have a question about uh,
1: logical reasoning questions. In fact, it was a confusion that I had about necessary versus sufficient assumptions. Yeah, great. Maybe we could. And
0: Namdi's working through your book, by the way, because that's yeah. the, as you know, that's the book we use in class. But right now, it has
2: been the predominant source of information. So I hope you're not offended by uh, rough language, Namdi. No, this, no, honestly, this was the
1: coolest, like, LSAD book. Probably one of the coolest, just instruction books I've ever seen before. So awesome. Thank you. Um, so this is about one of the. Uh, questions from the flaw section, and I don't know. Can I read it? The question is that possible, or should I just uh, say no? What my we can't
0: confusion? read the question, but um, okay. I'm sure we will remember which one it is. And Nathan wrote about it, so he might remember it too. Okay. Um,
1: which one? What's it about? It's about an art museum and the media. Um, it's on page sixty-two. Right? Sixty-two, and. It's about, like, visitors to that museum. And, and the minimum determ- wage or something? And, like, determining whether it'll go bankrupt or not. Oh, okay. Um My confusion was in that it seemed like the person who was talking in the argument had a... I guess I found something to be a sufficient assumption while the argument itself qualified it as a necessary assumption. Um and that's why I chose my answer. Um but that answer was wrong. Um and I guess it, it really is hard for me to explain what I mean.
0: Well I think one thing we can talk about here, right? See so, which answer did you choose? Uh A. A, okay. Oh I see. Um So, no, there's some general things to take away from this. And the first thought I had, since you were talking about necessary assumption, was this is a flaw question, but in a lot of flaw questions they give you, they say that the flaw is basically something takes for granted that, which just means the argument is necessarily assuming something. And so then you have to, so really for these answer choices, like B, C, and whatever, when they say the argument takes for granted that yada, 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 you can think of it as, is the argument necessarily assuming this? And if it's not a necessary assumption, if it's not something the argument needs to assume, then it's wrong, regardless of whether or not it's a it's a potential flaw mm-hmm. in general. Um, but then answer choice A, that's also describing a flaw that's very common. Nathan, do you want to talk about that, or if you have any other thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean... My explanation, so the answer of choice uh, that Namdi chose says confuses a sufficient condition for a necessary condition, and in my explanation I just said, um, <clears throat> this is a description of the LSAT's most common flaw, if it had been present in the argument we would have noticed it, so it's not the answer for this question. I, I kind of wish I would have expanded a little bit and explained why A was not making that flaw. Um, so it, this is a, kind of my bad, and I'm glad you pointed it out, Nandi, because I, I feel like it could have been better explained. Um. Right. And
1: I guess my, my main point, like, where I was confused, was that um, if the argument itself says that, like, if this thing happens, then... Um, Like, or if this thing does not happen, then this will happen. Can you, you shouldn't even, because my initial like thing was to contest that statement in itself, because Mm -hmm. it seemed like they were saying that that was necessary when, if you just like thought about it, like, I guess from a logical perspective, there's no way that that could be the only scenario in which the cause. Ha- so like, <laughs> it's hard using it without the,
0: well, it's okay. So I think what you're saying is if the, if then statement says something like, if you go to the store, then you will win the lottery. Right. You interpret that to say that the only way to win the lottery is to go to the store
1: or that's a necessary. No, it's more like he's saying he doesn't buy that as a premise. Is- yeah. Oh, okay. It, it's like, if, um,
0: or that premise that we just talked about. If you go to the store then you'll win the lottery, that's not necessarily true. And so you're saying you don't agree with that.
1: Yeah. And okay. then if, if it's basically like this it seemed like by the answer not being A, it was forcing me to assume that the if then statement the if then statement is the just factual. Was true. Even yes. though it doesn't seem like a I mean, I guess it is a premise and premises can be accepted. It must be accepted. Um, it must be. be accepted. Yeah. Because there's only, so there's two sentences in a in an argument, and one sentence has, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> this, like, it's just, it's weird to me. because you feel
0: it, like the sentences are in conflict with each other?
1: Well, it just, it seems like the argument
2: just, created a necessary assumption for no, me. you're so I, I can tell you Nambi what you're missing. You're yeah. the the rule says that if attendance is low, the museum's gonna go bankrupt. Yeah. Therefore the media coverage is necessary. Right. And it's that's where I think that's where I was confused. Well
1: well the, also, also in the fact that if the like why is it necessary
2: that the attendance had to be low? Because it's not could they it get, says if the attendance was low yeah then the museum would have gone bankrupt now that's a premise of the argument and you just you just can't argue with that you just have to say okay that's a rule right okay but then the conclusion skips to the museum wouldn't have been open if it weren't for the coverage from the local media right so the missing piece there is well is the local media the only way that the attendance could have been fixed oh see so what they did there is they they did like just a little shell game with you and they, they made you think that they had confused a sufficient condition for a necessary condition but what they actually did is they threw in this extra variable right so okay I think that's
1: I think I see what you're saying so the first statement about the attendance being low versus the bankruptcy that's something that I just have to accept even though that may not be true in reality, that's just something I have to accept on face value. Yeah. Remember?
2: Yeah. You, so, I mean, yeah. And that, I do think that's like a big issue for, for not just for you, but for just about everybody is that when you critique these arguments, you know, my, my, you have my encyclopedia and my encyclopedia, I'm, I'm just yelling at you over and over and over to, to be critical and to argue. And that's great that you're doing that. But when I say be critical and argue, I want you to be skeptical of the entire argument but in the end, you have to say, okay, part of your argument is facts and part of your argument is logic. And right. I'm critical of the logic part, but I have to accept your facts as facts. Gotcha. So I think with more practice, you'll get, you'll get better and better at it. But, but here, yeah, I mean, they're giving you an if-then statement, which the second sentence of that argument is an if-then statement or the beginning of the second sentence is an if-then statement that you have to accept as a premise of the argument, and then your job is to say, you know, even I might not, I'm skeptical of your premises, but granting you your premises, I still think your argument is bullshit. <laughs> okay. and, and that's how you really win these, these these questions. That's how you really win an argument. You know, as you say, <laughs> your yes. owner. I'll I'll I will agree. I stipulate to all of the facts in the opponent's case. All the facts that are presented in the opponent's case are true, but if you take their facts and the law that controls this case, I still win.
1: Right.
2: That, that's what we're going for here. Okay,
1: that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, man, that's a lot clearer now. Okay, so my next question has to do with uh taking practice tests after uh the course so i i while i am probably um a minority in this regard i'm sure there's other people that are doing it as well so like i told ben i plan on taking his course and then spending half a year to a year just doing like practice tests over and over again until i'm like comfortably scoring like or regularly scoring where i want to score um, back to back uh, but since we're doing so many practice questions from previous exams during the course will, will there be a point like, like how will I study practice tests in the future if I've pretty much done like questions from every practice test already
0: so one, one thing really quick Namdia if you don't mind I would, the first question I would ask is whether or not you should take it in September yeah. and that May be something you want to do. I mean, since we're taking a practice test every Saturday of, of the most recent LSATs released, the, the eight most recent ones, the scores that you get on those tests are going to be essentially the same, I mean, very close to whatever you're going to get on the actual test day. So if you get up to the score that you want, uh, you know, a couple weeks out from the test, on those Saturday practice exams, I would take the test because you're basically, you're, you're scoring where you want to score. There's, you know, the information is fresh in your mind. The, yeah. the drilling, the practicing is all fresh in your mind. And so um, I think if you wait until December or something like that, I know you don't have a particular deadline. You're not trying to get into school in 2015. It's just whenever you yeah. get the best score you can get, you're, then you're going to turn around and apply. Um, but if you're ready, I would take it. Okay. and then in terms of taking tests later if you do decide not to take it because you're not quite where you want to be um, I would just repeat tests that you've taken uh, because the recent tests are important and until you can get a 178 or higher it seems like there's still something to glean from that test I mean this depends on what you're doing but Nathan do you have any thoughts there I know you have to go soon
2: yeah um, I totally agree with the advice of hey, why, why, are we, why are you thinking about taking so long here to study? Um, I, I do hear this f- fairly frequently from students who come in with like a grand study plan of like, yeah, I'm going to take two years to prepare for the LSAT and make sure that I get the best score. And I, it's admirable. And, you know, you guys are really hardworking folks, but I just don't think it's at all necessary. I, I, I feel like you're making more of a mountain out of the test than it really even needs to be. Um, you're like Ben said, you're taking a bunch of practice tests. Your scores have improved. You're already at a 165. I mean, you're already within striking distance of the 170s. Um, you don't need, I don't think anybody needs an LSAT score higher than, let's say, 173. Um, I, I really think that by the time you're over the 99th percentile, schools are going to treat those as pretty much the same score. Okay. So. Um, I mean, I could be wrong about that, and obviously more points is better, but I don't see why you would make this into a two-year ordeal if you didn't have to. If I were you, Namdi, I would have the September 27th date on my calendar. I would also have the December test date on my calendar, and I would have the February 2015 date on my calendar, and I would just make up my mind that, assuming that my practice test scores are where I want them to be, that those are going to be my... Hopefully, September 27th could be the end of your LSAT career. Uh, but if, if you have a bad if you have a bad day, then you take it again in December. And if you have a bad day in December, you take it again in February, and then you're done with it. Yeah, would be much more my my strategy. Um, it is important, you know. You, I'm glad you're not taking it lightly, but your practice test scores will tell you whether you're ready. And then, okay. yeah, and then I, I do totally agree with Ben. Um, redoing old tests, students get like to get really nervous about that. Like, oh, I don't want to waste these tests. And if I redo these tests, I'm going to remember the answers. And I think the point is not to, to know, we said this on the last show too the, the point is not to be able to choose the correct answer, the point is to be able to prove to yourself that the correct answer is indeed correct. And so even if you remember, you're know, you doing some logic game and you happen to remember that the answer to question number 13 is B, I don't think that makes any difference because you still have to be able to prove why B is the correct answer. Right. Um, Figure out why B is the correct answer other than just remembering why B is the correct answer. So I wouldn't see anything wrong with redoing recent tests even if you remember them. Okay, sounds good. I think I basically just rehashed exactly what Ben said, except I said it in three times, three <laughs> times as many words. No,
0: that was that was good. Yeah. It was a podcast, so now we have it in our mind, right? That's good.
2: Um, so Nathan, you have to go, right? So yeah, I got to run. This has been really great, though. Ha- Namdi, do you still have more questions on your on your list?
1: I do, but they're like super specific, so it would be impossible to like talk about them
2: here. Well, I, I did want to say, I should have said this at the top, that um, as a teacher, there is just nothing better to me than a student who comes to class with a list of questions. Uh, that is that is just awesome. I mean, that that is my dream. So Ben, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, no, it's awesome, it's good. Um, sometimes
0: people come to class and they don't have any questions and I say, we're ready, let's go, what do you want to do? And they're just like, whatever. Yeah. And they're very laid back and I understand everybody has busy, busy schedules but it's, it's really, it's
2: it's nice when people have questions. So, thanks. Uh, to, to the listeners, uh, if you have questions, you can drop them onto the message board at thinkinglsat.com. You can also email Ben at, at com or email me at nathan at foxlsat.com. And Nandi, if you fill up another, uh, list of questions i would love to talk to you again sometime
1: yeah that'll definitely be happening within the next week i mean like it's ridiculous the number of questions that i have but i think it's important
2: no it's fantastic you're doing great cool well thanks no problem i guess we'll call it a wrap at that so yeah it's a short short but sweet i think i think that was great all right thanks guys
0: yep yeah